and welcome to another episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast and once again I had a great sit down conversation with a Glentorn legend, a man who needs no introduction and that is of course John Devine but before we get on to him I have some events and things that are happening at the Castlereagh Glentorn Supporters Club that I have to let you know about. Um, if you're listening to this straight after the Glenavon match, then it might be a bit tight, but the Player of the Year presentation is taking place at the club at 8pm on Saturday, um, tonight, the 21st of October. Uh, the Player of the Year is, is, of course, Bobby Burns, and I'll be conducting a um, a bit of an interview with Bobby, uh, and it's sure to be a great night. If you can make it along, great. It might be a bit short notice at this stage, though. Um, there is a bus running to the Crusaders game. If you would like to book onto that bus, you can contact um, Thomas Holland or just go onto the uh, Castlereagh Glenthorne Supporters Club Facebook page and all the details are on there. There is also a Halloween night, um, or a Halloween themed night, taking place um, next week. And that's being run by Sirocco Works, who are great friends of the Castlereagh Club and use that as their hub. So if you fancy going for a Halloween night out then you can uh, go to the Castlereagh Club £5 entry and like I say everything all the details are on the Facebook page. On to this week's episode and as I mentioned it is of course Glenthorne legend John Devine. John Devine played 468 times for the Glens in a career spanning 12 years um, and he might have left in what was considered at the time controversial circumstances um, and that is of course something that we discussed but it's safe to say that it is all water under the bridge now. Um, John was an absolute gentleman and he played in some absolutely brilliant teams but it was really interesting because he went into the Glens team unbeknown to himself or anyone else. No one really knew who he was and he pretty much managed to stay there for the majority of the 12 years he was at the club and he only wishes that it was a lot longer than that. Um, we talk about his international cap, um, all the trophies he won, playing with the likes of Jimmy Cleary and uh, Gary McCartney and of course uh, seeing some up and coming Glenthorne stars um, who would go on to have great careers such as Paul Lehman, Colin Nixon, Andy Kirk, Stuart Elliott, um, even Chris Walker he played alongside so um, really interesting conversation with John, great to have him on, he was more than obliging and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it so here it is, it's this week's episode the Shout at the Oval podcast with John Devine. John, welcome to the Shout at the Oval podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on and talk about some great memories, uh, a great career. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having us. So I suppose I'll start where I start with all my guests and it's your, your earliest football memories. What's your memories growing up? Like who did you play for and that sort of thing? Well, growing up Whitehead, I was involved in the BB, first Whitehead. And really that was my first team as such. You know, we didn't play every week, but every other week. From then, it was when I went to school, St Congles and Larne. My XP teacher, uh, the late Shay Hamill which, you know, synonymous in the Irish League, you know, throughout the years. After that there, it was my first, sort of, my senior club was Eddie McGee. I played in Eddie McGee's second team when I was 14. And that's really where the, the, the link between Glen Torn and, and myself came, because it was through through the BB that Jim Cleary worked with a, an officer there. And the officer said to Jim to send out somebody to have a look at me, and that's he sent out Billy Spence, and sort of, sort of the, the rest is history. 
You, what did you, were you 16 when you joined the Glens or were you 18? Or? No, I was 16. I came when I was 16 and I played in the Colts. Uh, started off in the Colts. Uh, Billy McCulloch was the manager. And that was just before Tommy Jackson had taken over. Uh, I think Billy Johnson was the manager at the time. And then when Tommy took over, he took Billy with him. And then Billy Spence took over the youth team. So that's my first, that was in the youth team, yeah. Was Billy Spence as good a, a coach as he was a scout? He, was, he had an eye for a player. He did. He signed a lot of players for Glentorn, and, and over the I don't know many and who he signed over the years, but he, he signed a hell of a lot of players. So he did, but it was great. Billy was Billy was Billy. You know what I mean? He was a Jack the Lad, you know, duckling diving, whatever he done. But but he was great to me. You know, obviously he, he came and signed me. He watched me, and he stuck me. He, I was actually out of the team whenever he came into the, into the manager's job there, and he put me back in again. So I've a lot to, to thank Billy for. You were 18 um, when you made your Glentorn debut and it was Tommy Jackson was manager. Were you expecting the sort of knock about the Colts then, knock about the seconds, or were you expecting the challenge for that first team place? Definitely not challenge for the first team place. Uh, at the start of that season, I was playing for the Colts uh, and by Christmas time, I was playing for the first team. I think come run, on the run-up to Christmas, I'd got a couple of games for the reserves. And at that time... The reserve team having won the George Wilson Cup, I think, of the league of the year before they get into the, the County Antrim Shield. And I believe they played Larne away. So, you know, I was in in the Glentorn side then and Larne beat us 2-0, but we've done well. You know, for a reserve team, we've done very well. And Tommy and Billy McCulloch were at the match. The next week, the first team were playing, I'm not sure, I think we'd be playing Ballymena and Norman McGreevy got injured. He pulled his hamstring and Barney was coming back from a broken leg. So that was really the door open for me. Tommy asked me to come to training the week leading up to Christmas. Trained on the Tuesday night, nothing was said. Come in on the Thursday night, trained, nothing was said until after. And then he pulled me in and he says, well, John, it looks like you're going to be playing on Saturday. And in those days in Boxing Day, it, was, it wasn't you know Linfield, it was a, a, just a random match. So we actually played hard. Do you remember much about the sort of build-up of that game or the game itself, um, how you felt going into it? Well, I was maybe too young to be nervous, I think, you know... When he told me on the Thursday night that it was playing, or I could be playing, or possibly be playing, I said, that's OK. But on the Saturday, whenever I went up to the ground, I said, listen, John, you're in. I got a wee bit nervous, but not too bad. You know, I thought, you know, I thought I'd done OK on the day, drew two each. Uh, must have done OK because he kept me on the side. I look at that team on paper and I didn't get to see most of them play, but I know that the re- the reputation that they came with and it was absolutely brimming with quality. Do you think that that sort of made your transition into the team easier or was it a bit daunting playing with those sort of players? Definitely easier. Whenever you had Alfie to one side, you had Terry Moore, Alan Patterson behind me, George Neal at right back and then the guys in front as well. You know, the, the team was, the quality all over, the goals all over, were competitive, training sessions were like matches we've done really well you know we won I think four trophies that year I won three I think the one one previous to that there but um, that was probably the best team I've played in at Glentorn You achieved something that that season that I've actually never had um, the, the pleasure of witnessing as a Glentorn fan and that was winning the double it was quite tight at the top Glens won the league by two points but what was it like getting your hands on that in your first season? It was massive. Um, you know, I think the club needed it then. Uh, you know, went through that time after Christmas, we went on a really good run. And then we played Linfield. Uh, we played Linfield at Windsor Park and it was fogged off. But they were winning 2 1 at half time, but obviously we couldn't wait for the second half, so I had to replay it. 
uh, and the replay we beat them 2-0 so that really put us above them uh, and then you know came to the, I think the second or third last game of the season Linfield beat us so we had to actually be better what Linfield done or sorry got the same as what Linfield done uh, at Coleraine that day um, and went up there uh, I scored Coleraine equalised uh, and then Nuts came up with a winner you know into the second half but it was massive for the club uh, and you know I think that's the, the last time they've done the double actually yeah, it was the last time and it was a bit crazy in the Irish Cup final too because it was an 89th minute Jimmy Cleary penalty. Um, I mean, there's probably no better way or more nervy way to win a cup final. Yeah, and I think we deserve it on the day. You know, their goalkeeper, I think Dean Smith made a couple of saves as well, but their goalkeeper, Robbie Beck, made a, a, a few great saves that day. It wasn't a particularly good day. You know, it was damp and raining. Uh, and then... I think some of the supporters, when you see some of the snippets, you know, on the TV or on YouTube or whatever, some of the supporters are actually leaving the ground. Uh, whenever uh, Billy Cassie got the header in, Andy Russell unfortunately handled the ball. Well, well, unfortunately for us, he handled the ball on the line, and, and Jimmy scored a penalty. I think uh, that year in the Irish Cup, Jimmy scored a penalty in every every round, <laughs> including the final. And um, did you think at that stage, waiting your hands in the double first season, it's going to be like that all the time? Well, you were hoping, um, and it wasn't to be. You know, the next season, you know, sort of the, the the team broke up a wee bit, uh, got a wee bit older, whatever. Alfie left, um, which was massive for us. Uh, we didn't really hit the heights that we all thought we should have hit. On, uh, you know, in the second year. But there was still three sort of trophies in that year. It was the Ulster Cup, the uh, Gold Cup, and the League Cup, um, and it was probably an important season for yourself. It was, and there was also the, the, the centenary challenge as well. We beat, I think, Palomina. Uh, we beat them at, at Windsor Park. So, the, you know, I ended up winning three trophies and, and playing just over 23, 24 matches or something that year, you know. But it was massive, you know, for a young lad to come in, you know, not expecting at the start of that season to be in the, in the first team, playing in the, starting in the Colts, and I say winning uh, what I did win at the end of the season. But uh, it was massive, and you know, a lot of credit to the other players as well because they helped me a lot. Did you nail down your place then? Was that sort of you in the Glentorn team from then until you, you left? Was that? Well, not really, because the season, uh, the, ne- the next season we went, we played uh, Spartak Moscow in the European Cup. I played out there. And then we played a couple of league games before the next match. Uh, I didn't pre- play particularly well, but Barney had come back from his injury again, so Barney got back into the team. And it took me a match or two to, you know, to actually get back into the team. But, you know... Overall, in the career that I had, you know, I did play quite a lot of matches over the seasons that I was there. Were you always playing at centre half, or were you moved about a bit? No, Tommy Jackson moved me about a wee bit. Uh, I played a few matches at right back, quite a few matches right back, and also quite a few matches uh, in midfield. And actually, the the Portadown Irish Cup final, we beat them three um, nil. I played midfield that day. The 89-90 season will forever go down as a historic season for the Glens um, and it's because it was the 7-up season. Uh, they beat Linfield on seven occasions, including two cup finals um, and Porto down won the league that year but the Glens did manage to win the Irish Cup as you just alluded to there but mm-hmm. what was that season like, getting getting them seven victories as well? Well, it, it was it was brilliant beating Linfield any time but the, you know, you know, to play them seven times it's really unheard of, you know, with different competitions or whatever. Uh, I think Roy Coyle was actually the manager then. I think I think that maybe was nailed, put the nail in the coffin for him to, to go at that stage. But you know, but we just liked playing against Linfield that year, and we did have a particularly good team. Uh, where maybe Linfield weren't 
as good as what they have been over the years. But uh, it's always good to beat Linfield. I said to Gary McCartney when I had him on the podcast that he probably got Roy Coyle sack. He scored nine goals in the seven games. He did. He scored a lot of goals um, and created a few goals as well. But I think that year Gary was on fire. He was, he was brilliant against Linfield and against other clubs as well. But uh, we just had a knack on the day of, of, of beating them. It was around that time that you got your, your cap for Northern Ireland, is that right? And talk me through that. Well, again, it was, uh, you know, it came by chance. I'd been picked against uh, Republic of Ireland for the under-23s. Um, and they played on the Wednesday night. And on the Friday night, Northern Ireland senior team were playing Uruguay. Um, after, or sorry, before uh, the Republic of Ireland match, Billy Bingham had asked me to stay on for the rest of the week and be part of the, the senior squad. He says, but you won't play, John. He says, but it's just for experience. So I've done okay against the Republic of Ireland, and then we trained as normal, the, the when, or sorry, the Thursday and the Friday. Uh, I was named on the bench. I was told again I wouldn't be getting on. 25 minutes, half an hour to go. Uh, Colin Hill, he went down with a bit of food poisoning. Billy Bingham just looked at me and says, listen, John, you're on. So that was it. So it happened that quick, but I didn't expect it. But it was, uh, it, was, it was brilliant to get, so it was. Did you think then that you might kick on, you might attract some interest from maybe across the water and go on have an international career? Well, th- there was a lot of interest at that time. I think Southampton were over a few times. Uh, Sheffield United were, were sniffing about. But uh, I was told Southampton were very, very interested and, and a deal could be close, but it never, ever materialised. The Glens team of the 80s seemed to be quite up and down and it was, um, despite having an array of talent in 1991, it was quite disappointing off the back of that season. No one really expected any the team to do much in the the following season, 91-92. Yeah. But it was to be a lot different. Um, they went, went 17 games unbeaten at the start of the season and the rest is history. It is, and I think a lot of the games at the start of the season were won by the odd goal, but we had a lot of players scoring from everywhere you know I think with four players that scored 20 goals plus Justin Gary McCartney Andy Mallison Gary Hillis you know what I mean so we were scoring goals for fun and as the season went on we were blowing teams away and I think we wrapped the season I think we won the league quite possibly at Carrick Rangers but uh, that was a good season and we, we won it at a canter really to be honest If you look back on the sort of team of the 80s what people say the Glen should have won a hell of a lot more than they did, although they won so many Irish Cups, but they probably mean league titles. Why do you think it was that they, they, they didn't? I'm not so sure. Um, league titles are obviously won over a full season. Uh, you've got to remember as well, Linfield were good, you know what I mean? They had a, they had a lot of quality players. Uh, longevity of things that they just seemed to last things out were... Glen Torn were seemed to be a bit of a uh, the, the cup team as you as you want. Uh, won a lot of Irish cups and the Glen Torn supporters like winning Irish cups as well. So you know, so that was a good day out. But I don't. It's, it's hard to say. You know why we didn't win as as many more leagues as what we should have done. Do you think that in that era, Jimmy Cleary was the best player you played with? Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and retired at 32, 33. In many eyes, in many people's opinions, sorry, he was uh, he retired too er- too early. But um, Jimmy's decision. Uh, but he was undoubtedly the best player uh, that I've played against, or sorry, with at Glentorn. Why do you think he didn't really get the sort of um, move over to across the water? So many people say he's the greatest Irish League player they've ever seen. 
Well, when you ask other players now, I'm quite friendly with a lot of other Irish League players that played against Jimmy, and they would say the same thing. Is, uh, you know, the, the conversation comes: Is it Jimmy or Felix Healy? You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of players go for, or ex-players go for for Jimmy. I don't know whether he wanted to go across the water. To be honest, I, I, I'm not sure. I've never ever asked him. You know why? Uh, or did he have the opportunity to go? I'm not sure. Looking at that 91-92 season, the Glens won the league. There was some sort of new, fresh faces in the team. Did you really expect to kick on and the team to go on and do great things as opposed to what, what did come next? You would have thought so. Um, because of the of the way we won the league uh, and when we won it, we won it quite early. Uh, you would have thought you know, next season we were going to do better things. And again, I, it's hard to put your finger on, on why we didn't do it, but it was just one of those things that... Did the players take their eye off the ball, or did, did the the club take their eye off the ball? Maybe should have should they have strengthened? Maybe I don't know. That um, league win obviously led then to a fixture against Marseille. Um, what what was that like? It was what, the biggest European stage of all, and a, a really big name. Well, it's probably on the last time that, that any Irish league club will play against a team uh, of that stature, and you know, in European competition, because obviously it was an open draw then. Um, but it was brilliant for us, you know, playing against uh, current World Cup winners and future World Cup winners. Um, and you know, all right, we got beat eight 0 over the two games. <laughs> that was never no. going to, you know, that was never going to change. Uh, but to be on the pitch against uh, against such quality, it was unbelievable. And just the, you know, to taste a wee bit of full time football, like going across and playing in, in Marseille, it was it was fantastic. The season that followed was quite disappointing, um, and it was it was bittersweet for you because obviously, whilst you're disappointed in the way that the team played, you received the Player of the Year award for that season. What did that mean to you? It was massive. You know, the supporters vote for your vote for the Player of the Year, and, and to think that you know they thought that I was their, their Player of the Year. You know, it was it was brilliant and, and uh, a great honour. And that would actually start the signal the beginning of the end, sort of for um, Tommy Jackson. He would he would leave at the end of that season, and it was after a long spell as Glentorn manager and the only manager of Glentorn that you knew. What was his departure like for you personally? Well, I have a lot to thank Tommy for. You know, he he brought me into the first team. Uh, you know, I, I got myself established. Um, uh, he, he played me. You know, he moved me about a wee bit, which I didn't really care as long as I was playing. Uh, and then for for Tommy to go, like, but in the end of the day, the results weren't weren't there. You know, the results were poor. Um, the, the players obviously have to put their hands up and say that they could have done better, they should have done better, and it didn't happen. And ultimately, no matter where you look, what league you look in, what club you look at, if the players aren't or if the, the club aren't winning or the team isn't winning, the manager's head's going to go. When Robert Strain came in, was it was it a bit different? What was his methods like? Um, what was it like? Well, Robert, as you know, was uh, the reserve team manager and, and probably was the, the perfect pick. I didn't really help Robert in many ways because I was injured. I got injured uh, and I, I didn't really play that season a terrible lot. So, you know, I, I couldn't help him the way I should have helped him or could, could have helped him. Uh, but he brought a few players in from England. Uh, again, they brought in this silly rule that you had to win so many matches or, you know, whatever it was, finish average league position and we finished really poor the first season and then we'll have to do well the next season which we did 
I have to um, sort of clear it up for some of the younger listeners because there is quite a lot of younger listeners. Um, the league was being reduced from 16 teams to 8 and the clubs being relegated were decided by their league positions over two seasons. They were basically added together and whatever um, position you got uh, determined where, where, where you played the following year. Uh, it meant that the lowest the Glens could finish in 94-95 was 6th um, but they really needed to finish 5th in order to guarantee um, the drop. Uh, and before we got to that, it was it was Tommy Cassidy who was appointed to effectively save the Glens from relegation. And he was seen as a bit of a, a left field appointment. There was no one really talking about him at the time. No, there wasn't. And it was actually after the, the Robert Stream was still there. So it was like a joint manager uh, job at the time. Um, and then Tommy came in, but Tommy, I think, was making the, the, the decisions. But even at the start of that season, we were really, really poor. And then all of a sudden, we just we just clicked, and we were beating everybody, um, and we were doing really well. And but it still, no matter how many points we we got, we still weren't safe. It was the next match. We still weren't safe. It was the next match, and it got to the match at Crusaders. We beat Crusaders two one, I think, and that kept us up. Really, was that was Chris Walker scoring that game, or was the game before that? I think he scored against the Celery the game the before. before yeah, uh, I think that day it was. Uh, I think Derek Cook scored. And I think Ray Hamill scored. Right, okay. I I remember that was sort of like when I first started following the Glens. Uh-huh. Um, so my memory's quite jade. I was quite young, you yeah, know what I mean? So yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah. remember. But I just remember the big occasions at the time. Big occasions and big crowds. You know, the, the, the supporters really got got behind us. But I'd say, you know, the, the more we kept winning, we thought we were, we were safe, we were safe, but we weren't. <laughs> but it took the match we made against uh, Crusaders. And uh, we were playing really well at that stage. The RC was a bit mad back then because when you looked, Linfield won the league in the first year of that and that actually kept them up because they finished quite, I think they finished eighth or something in the, the second season. Excuse me. <coughs> That's right. Again, you know, you, you thought of the year before winning the league they were going to kick on and they didn't. It's not like them. Um, but as I you know, roles were reversed. We were poor the first season and we've done really well the second season. I had Gary Smith on the podcast last year and he said that um, he found Tommy Cassidy very difficult to get on with. Um, did you sort of share that for you or what, what was he like? Well, I got on really well with him. Um, I understand where Gary's coming from because um, he sold Gary, you know what I mean? And, you know, it was unfortunate. You know, Gary was unfortunate to get sold, but very fortunate to come back three times, <laughs> which is very, very lucky and wish it had happened to me, but it didn't. Um, but Tommy made me. Tommy Cassidy made me a captain, uh, and you know I'm thankful for that there. Uh, but I got on really well with him. Um, again, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. What was it like being appointed captain of Glentorn? It was it was a great honour because you know you look at the captains that I played under before that, Barney, Jimmy Cleary, legends of the club who had won whatever they won. Terry Moore, uh, you know all multi-medal winners at the club and a lot that I learned from uh, that, you know, hopefully I passed on to other players at the club that I learned from them. In 1995-96, Glen Little joined the club. Um, young, confident and flashy, I think would be the best way to describe Glen. What, what was he like He was as a, as a person and how did you read him as a player? He was the sort of first player I really remember being like a being hero worshipped effectively in my era. Well, well, Glenn was Glenn, you know, but he, he lazy so and so, but giving the ball and he could do whatever he wanted, you know what I mean? He was, but 
again, as you said, a breath of fresh air. I think Glenn Torn actually signed him from Derry City. Yeah. So they did, and it was Tommy Cassidy that signed him, brought him on loan initially, and then was signed him up. Uh, what some of the things he done on a football pitch was was on. You know, if they'd done it in England, they'd be talking about it all the time. But he'd done it against different clubs in the Irish league, and again, he got his move to Burnley, which he deserved. But he was. Uh, I would say a lot of the, the players or the younger supporters at that stage would probably say he was probably the best player that they've seen at the club. Yeah, I, I actually, when I was at university, he was playing for Wilston and I was living in London and I went to interview him at a, a Wilston game for the Glentorn Gazette and he spoke so highly of his time at Glentorn. He, I think he lived in the Park Avenue Hotel and he talked about the, the great laughs he had and he actually said, you know, if he could go back and relive any period of his career, despite the fact he played against AC Milan and stuff, he said his time at Glentorn was probably something he would go back and relive. Yes, and I've read those those remarks. And uh, but again, look at the career he had in England. He was, he was brilliant. But um, he did stay in the in the Park Avenue because remember going up a couple of times to for a coffee with him. You know what I mean? Whenever he was working, maybe waiting to go down to matches, whatever. But uh, but I think the early time at Glentor, I think he actually broke his leg in training as well. I, I think you're right, but he was back really quick. He was maybe a hairline fracture, but I think I I actually tackled him. <laughs> <laughs> But it's one of those things. He obviously scored that goal in the 1996 Irish Cup final. It was an, it was a scrappy affair with Glenavon and the, just a piece of magic. It was. It was a great goal, and you'd see the pitch, uh, you know, from the TV uh, clips. It was Windsor Park was a business. You never even played there in the first place, but obviously the sponsors wanted to play there. But uh, it was going to take a bit of magic to win it, and up popped Glen. I think, and he told me that he had uh, a Linfield player's boots on because he he brought the wrong boots with him. That's right. I remember that now. I think they had to go to Linfield and ask them for a pair of boots. Which is, he could have wore two left-footed two left boots and he would have scored that. What was that cup final like in general? It was a massive, massive crowd. pretty sure the seats had just been put into the... It was the New North Stand was built then and it was that was the first cup final we would have played there in, in that sort of setting. That's right. But I think, you know, on the day, I think we battered Glenavon. Um their goalkeeper made a few good saves. I had a couple cleared off the line early on. Uh, you know, when we had uh, Darren Parker playing in the middle of the park, done brilliantly well. We, I think Darren Finley played left back, he was brilliant as well. Um, but on the day, we just clicked. You know, Glenn Ferguson was playing up front. Uh, myself and Chris were, were, were on our, our game that day, and we just didn't really give them a, a sniff. Would you say that, that that Irish Cup final was? probably the most important trophy the Glens maybe had won even since the, since the double because it, it instilled this winning mentality again a lot of those players hadn't really experienced that uh, in, the, in that time No they hadn't because a, a lot of young players were coming through um, you'd Colin Nixon coming through you'd Paul Lehman coming through uh, Michael Ferguson coming through Stuart Elliott um, David Rainey was about to join the club you know coming through as well on the, on, on the wings but um, a lot of them players you know hadn't won anything so it was it was great for them but also you know they had the belief now or then that they could go on and win more and look at the careers that the, the lads had and did you were you surprised that Colin Nixon this was sort of the all time appearance uh, holder at Glen Thorne had the career he did did you what did you see anything in him when he first broke in did you think he'd go to England or I didn't think he'd be at Glen Thorne that long and I think that's what everybody thought um, whenever he did sign uh, and it got into the first team. A lot of people thought that you know, 
and I thought maybe Colin as well maybe thought that, that it was the stepping stone that I think Rangers were right. very much tipped uh, to, to sign him and it didn't happen much to the benefit of Glenn Torn but you know Colin could, uh, could and should have went across the water without a doubt the next manager you play under was one that certainly made an impression. It was um, Roy Coyle joined the club in, in 1987, and that was the Glentorn team that I very much grew up on. Um, very successful, and, and he built more than, than one team. Now, I hosted a live podcast here at the Castlereagh Club um, with the 2003 team back earlier in the year, and they had some unbelievable stories about Roy Coyle and just his methods and the stuff he'd say. And um, What was he like for you to play under? Um. He was, well, it's hard to, for me to say what he was like because he ended up getting rid of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, when we came in, when he came to the club at that time, it was what the club needed. And I said that whenever I was done an interview when I was working down in Lauren. Uh, the club needed to be grabbed with the scruff of the neck and there was only one man to do it and he done it. And now the first season, I think we won the Irish Cup and then we went on and won the league. Uh but again, you know, he had he had a lot of the young players coming through again who were a year or two into their season or into their careers at Glen Torn that Tommy Castley had actually blooded. So he had to get the he was obviously getting the best out of them. But they were a year or two more mature, uh Nixon, Lehman, you know, Elliot. Uh and they done well for him, but I, th- I think he done well for Glen Torn, but they done well for him as well. Were you surprised when he was getting the job, being a former Linfield manager, or was it not as big a deal back then as maybe it would be now? I think if he had to come from Linfield to Glentorn, it might have been a, a bigger deal, but the fact he went to Derry City, Ards, and then to Glentorn, uh, you know, but I don't think it's a big deal. Players going to Linfield or Glentorn or Glentorn or Linfield, the end of the day, where do they go? They go to the, the rivals, the, the, the biggest club or the best club they can go to, and that's what it is. You touched on the likes of Stuart Elliott and Andy Kirk there. Um, two smashing players who went on to have an unbelievable career. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you see that in them as soon as they broke in? The, Andy Kirk in, in particular, I remember when he first broke into the team was scoring goals. Funny, he was only like 19 or something. 18 or 19. And yes, you're right. The, 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 they had that wee bit. They had a bit of pace. Stuart was good in the air. Very quick, both of them. Um, knew how to score goals, spectacular goals. Stuart scored a few spectacular goals as well, excuse me. <coughs> but you could see right away that it had a wee bit about them. Um, and as you say, they went on and had fantastic careers. Do you think it helped that Andy Kirk, Stuart Elliott and um, Paul Eman went to Asheville together and, and grew up together and were close? Well, <laughs> I keep them going. You know, the, the, There would be no good in the quiz team with three of them. But, but uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But you know, they, they, they were all good friends. You know, They, they grew up very close to, get, uh, to each other. Uh, in the same school team, uh, good mates, chummed a bit together and they broke into the, the, the first team at the, at the same time, which is really unheard of. The, another Irish Cup medal um, in uh, around that time, it was 1998, um, and it was another tight battle with Glenavon, um, and it would be your last um, Irish Cup medal as a player, but it was sort of by the skin of your teeth because obviously you, you sort of I think you left Corey in the year before they won it and then I think you left Lauren <coughs> the year before they played in the final again so it was just, just about your last um, experience of an Irish Cup final but that, that final in general was um, it was quite high quality from my, my memory again it was it was a great game uh, again the pitch wasn't great 
um, went to extra time, I believe. <clears throat> uh, John Kelly stepped up with, with the winner, but Glenavon had a lot of good players, <clears throat> and we had a lot of good players, young players coming in as well. Um, Stephen McBride for Glenavon, Steve, uh, Glenn Ferguson, Raymond McCoy, quality players. But again, on the day, we deserved it. You know, we should have won it in, in, in 90 minutes. Uh, and I think if we hadn't lost it, or sorry, if we had lost it, uh, you know, it would have been a bit of a travesty because I thought we deserved it on the day. Some people say that winning the cup is better than winning the league because of the whole day out thing, and uh, you know it's a, it's quite a big deal. And I had Kyle Neal recently on; he said similar. He's like, you know, you feel at the end of a, a league season, it's like you just like let out a big breath, and you're like, that's it done. Whereas a cup final is you're running off your adrenaline. Would you agree? Did you, did you enjoy your Irish cup finals a bit more? <clears throat> I enjoyed. No, I'd rather win the league than the Irish cup. To yeah. be perfectly honest, you know, you, the league's your bread and butter. That's what you know. Your peers looked to you see who who's the league champions. You know, the league champions get you into the the bigger competitions at the end of it. You know, um, Irish Cup final is a great day. It's a great day out from the morning you you waking up, you meet up with the players for breakfast, whatever, and the whole build up. And it was great for me. I played in four and one four, didn't concede a goal, which was hundred <laughs> percent record. Which was, was but and then again I had players around me who 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 were fantastic with me. You know what I mean? So, um, but. Give me the league any day, but the Irish Cup is a great day out. Well, you would get the league again uh, in 1998-99. It felt like a lifetime for, for Glen Thorne fans, because obviously they were they had to go since 92, um, which seems no time at all when you look back to how long we've had to wait now. Um, but it was a team with loads of goals, and I was saying that the, before we started recording that it was actually um, the team that scored the most goals since the Glens in 92, so it was a really high-quality team. It was, and as you say, the goals from everywhere. But if I can remember at the start of that season, um, I think it was six or seven games in a row, we went to goal down. That's right, yeah, yeah. you're right. We won 2-1, 3-2, 4-3. And I think one of the games against, I can't remember, it was at the Oval, but I think we won 5-4. <clears throat> so it wasn't maybe pretty for some of the supporters, but it was uh, great to play in. And the fact that we were winning and then... After that there, we got ourselves together and we went on and we won the league quite comfortably. And you also won the Ulster Footballer of the Year and the Football Writers <coughs> um, Player of the Year. What what did that mean to you? It's the very prestigious awards. Great awards. You look at the names on the trophies and, you know, throughout the years from the first winner to when I won it, like, uh, you know, a lot of Irish League legends. Um, and it was a great honour personally. But again, you know, Whenever you do win an award like that there, or awards like that there, you know, you, you've got to thank the players around you and everybody that helped you. But it was, uh, it was a fantastic, personally a fantastic season. And then came your departure. <coughs> um, you were voted the best player in the country. Um, you're at the top of your game. You're a captain of Glen Torn, And then all of a sudden you're on your way to Corian. What, what happened? Well, <coughs> I think there was a couple of things happened towards the end of the season. Now, without going into too much detail, um, a couple of things happened, and uh, I was probably held accountable for that there because I was the captain. But at the end of the day, whenever players vote on something, it's a, all the players vote, not just me. Uh, and then I was obviously relaying that back to the board. Uh, but they did offer me a contract, and and it wasn't a contract that I thought was acceptable. So I turned it down and they only offered me one and that was it. They didn't go, come back and say this and we're going to 
uh, you know, look at the terms. It was just one contract, and that was it. And was it more? Was it the, was it money and years, or was it a mixture of the two? Or? No, the initial offer was a two-year contract, which I turned down right away. And then two minutes later, Roy Coyle said, "Will it be a three-year contract?" And I said, "Well, that's fine, three-year contract." I thought at 20, uh, twenty-nine at the time, I'd maybe five or six years left at the club. Uh, wasn't to be, and then. He says, "This are the t- this is the terms," and I says, "Well, they're unacceptable to me," and that was it. Roy Coyle had a sort of habit of maybe doing this. I spoke to again Guy Smith, and he said that um, he was going in. I think it was Guy. I was Guy Smith. Yeah, Guy Smith. When he went in the second time, he was leaving the Glens. He says, "I'm going to go McCoyler here, and Coyler's going to offer me a one-year deal. I'm going to bargain for a two. And uh-huh. he said, "Them, you know, you're not, you're not getting." A, a anything, yeah, anything. not anything. So he was pretty ruthless in that way, and he was he had he was under the impression, as was Tim McCann at the same time, that they're both getting deals. Well, I was getting a deal, or I was offered a deal, um, but uh, as I say, you know, and a, a lot of things happened after that. There, you know, I went to Korean and uh, there was all these notes fired at me. You know, with the, instead of the Queen's head, it was my head on a twenty pound note, and that I was a money grabber, but. I wasn't. I, all I was asking for was a. They brought players into the club on really, really good money, and all I asked for was to be brought closer to that there, and they deemed that I wasn't worth it. So um, I remember one time, it was the the, the year as you alluded to the, the the player of the year awards, and I was at the top table, and the, the chairman at the time asked my wife. What would it take for John to stay at the club? And my wife was sort of like taken back a wee bit and says, "Well, give John the same as Tim McCann, right? That's okay." Never heard another thing. <laughs> Not that I wanted the same as Tim, but I just wanted to be brought a wee bit closer to the top earners at the club. But obviously, the club didn't think that I was worth it. Was it quite hurtful then when? Sort of Glenn, obviously there was a there was a narrative there was there was no doubt a narrative felt in the media at the time. I remember um, like it was the Ireland Saturday Night back then is where you got your news from, and there was there were stories in there and the Sunday papers and things, and it was pretty much coming from Glen Thorne. So did it hurt them when Glenn sort of did turn on you a bit at that early that early stage of your departure? Well, it did hurt, but the spin doctors at Glen Thorne done a do, done a good job, um, and the supporters, you know, they're going to believe you know who they want to want to believe. Now, as it turned out, the notes that were printed at the time were printed by a Glen Torn director. Under, he had no recollection of the conversations I had with the club at the time uh, regarding a contract, and he has since, since that happened about six months later, he apologised to me, and he says he didn't know the full story, you know, then at the time. Um, so, you know. That's okay saying that, you know, in hindsight, you know, that, you know, the club done this and the club done that and supporters done what they had to do. The supporters done what they felt was right at the time. Now, a lot of supporters have said to me now that they know the truth, you know, and they should never have been allowed to leave. Yeah, it was a strange, I, I remember, the first sort of time I actually remember, because I, again, would have been quite young and I remember um, the Gold Cup final we played Corian. And I remember weird details, like Bill Clinton was in Belfast at the time. Mm-hmm. And they remember the Glen men singing, because I think Glens were maybe 2-0 up against Corian or, or something like that. And they were singing Judas, Judas, watch the score. And it was strange to hear someone referred to as a Judas who was playing for Corian. It's not like you, meet, you cross the divide over to Linfield, you know. Well, 
you know, uh, as I say, you know, that, that wasn't long after uh, all this carry on was coming out. But it was actually Glenn Torn were winning one nil, and then I scored a penalty oh, to, make it, to make it one each. And then I think uh, I think it was four two or four three Glenn Torn or three two whatever it was. Darren Lockhart scored, I think. <coughs> he did. I think we Michael Ferguson scored as well. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, but as I say, it was hurtful at the time. But listen, it is what it is. You know, you just got to get on with things. And was there any other offers on the table? I mentioned Linfielder. I mean, you were the top. You were voted the top player in the country. I'm sure there must have been plenty. Well, I, I spoke to two clubs at the time. I spoke to Portadown and I spoke to Corian. Kenny Shield was the manager at Corian at the time, and I met both managers. Uh, offered me decent terms, and I just chose to go to Corian. Would you fancy playing under Ronnie? I would have, um, but at the time, you've got to go with your heart. And my heart at the time says Corian. You know. 45 minutes up the road 50 minutes you know what I mean and north coast is, is nice so it is you know so but uh, again <coughs> excuse me I just fancied uh, I just fancied Coleraine at the time that was it what was Kenny Shields like to play with they call him Crazy Kenny Crazy Kenny but he was brilliant to me so he was uh, obviously signed me but again he didn't get the luck of the draw you know the first match the first match uh, Coleraine played was against Glen Torn beat 2-1 a couple other hard matches and then Obviously, whenever the results go against you, again, they look at the, the manager. And unfortunately, the, the club felt that he needed change and they brought in Marty Quinn. Are, are you sort of surprised to see, for example, Kenny Shields, he took that Northern Ireland women's job, he did so well there, and then all of a sudden he's, he's just gone? You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, the same in Scotland when he won the Scottish, yeah, Cup, right. the Scottish Cup, and then all of a sudden he's out of a job. You, you, you don't really know... You know, the discussions that are going on behind the scenes, you know, why he left Kilmarnock, why he left uh, the Northern Ireland ladies' job, but uh, he was doing a fantastic job, there's no doubt about it. He, he is, a, he's, a, he's a real character, that's for sure, and obviously his son Dean was managing Dungannon last year, and he seemed pretty similar, he, you know, that didn't fall too far from the tree. Definitely not, and I remember young, uh, Dixie, as they call him, Training with us whenever he's a young boy, you could see he had a bit about him as well. Like, uh, um, but I think he's, uh, from what I believe, he's turned into a, a very good uh, coach as well. But not long before he's back in in the Irish league, I think. Well, what did you make of your time at Corian in general? Was it something that you really enjoyed? They were they're always knocking about up the sort of top upper echelon of the league without really sort of challenging at the business end of the season. On their day, they could have. Whenever I first went there. You know, got a lot, a lot of bad results and then again when Marty came in we went on a run with a 14 or 15 matches unbeaten uh, we actually finished second that year so we did you know and got ourselves into Europe which was massive for the club uh, again I think we underachieved you know with the, with the players that uh, Marty had under under him I think we underachieved as players what was Marty Quinton like because I've spoken to again players who have played under him and his apparently his his, his uh, Techniques were sort of wouldn't get away with it now. Put it that way. No, it, Mar- Marty he definitely wore his heart in his sleeve. So he did, you know, and then he was a get up and get at him sort of felt. Not in that, those words, like you know what I mean. But uh, great to play under. Great, and he would have done anything for you. He was definitely uh, he loved his players, so he did. And as I say, he would have done anything for you. And but again, as I think as, as players liked him as well. You could have played for Marty easily. Cigarettes at half time. Cigarettes at half time in the changing room 
after the match whenever he whenever he could. Well, it was good enough for Arsene Wenger then, I'm sure. Good enough for Marty Quinn. Good enough for Marty Quinn, right. When you left um, Corian, you went to Glenavon. Um, what was what was your spell at Glenavon like? Uh, it was a bit stop-start. Um, Colly Malone signed me, uh, phoned me up and asked me to come down. And initially I signed for three months because... Uh, I think that they'd run out of money at Glenavon at the time. He says, John Hall can offer you three months. And then, <clears throat> done okay. And then they offered me a contract at the end of the season. But before, just after I signed the contract, toward the end of the season, uh, Colley got the sack and Alfie Wiley came in. Uh, and again, maybe I wasn't Alfie's type of player, but at the end of the season, he just says, listen, John, I'm not going to renew your contract. I'm going to ask you to sign again. So I says, that's okay. I had no big deal with that there. They went. Did they go down the year after you left? They did. Yes, I they did. Yeah, because mm. I know I had again someone else I had in the podcast was um, Dean Fitzgerald. He played under Alfie at Newry. Yeah, and he said he was very, very difficult to to play under. Well, Alfie was. Uh, I don't know if he's difficult or not. Alfie just done things his own way. And then, you know, whenever Alfie went to Coleraine under Marty Quinn, they done very well. They got the Irish Cup final. Um, his coaching methods were very, very good. Uh, but again, I had no problems with Alfie. It was just different to other people, maybe. It, it's one of them things that sometimes people are just better as a number two. Because, I mean, he was always a very, very established number two. That's right, yeah. Well, it could be right. Um, you know, different different managers now, you know, you look at Michael Beale getting the sack from Rangers, was a, a brilliant number two there. Um, maybe it doesn't work out for him. You then went to um, Lorne. Um, which probably meant a lot to you. Lauren would be close to home. They're um, they were in the the Premier Division at the time. They were <laughs> not like the Lauren now. They didn't have the money that the Lauren have now. But um, no, we Tommy Kincaid was a manager. Um, to be fair to Tommy now, he, he pushed and pushed and pushed to get me there, and, and he was never off the phone every night of the week. What are you doing? What are you doing? But I hadn't made up my mind, and um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Rather, I really wanted to play on. Uh, and then, as you say, it was on my doorstep, and I says, "Listen, I'll, I'll give it one more season, see how it goes." Lo and behold, halfway through the season, Tommy resigned, and the club came to me and asked me to take over <coughs> to the end of the season. Then we'll, we'll take it from there. So myself uh, and I asked Neil Candley, who was a player there at the time, an excellent torn player as well, to help me out. And the more or less says to us, "We need to stay up." That was the, the job spec. And we did. Last game of the season against Bangor, I believe, we got the point that we needed to stay up. So when it came to your departure, Lauren, were you a bit surprised? Because they didn't, they didn't go down, they stayed in the in the division. <clears throat> well, to be, it, it, it done me the world of good to get, to get out of football at the time because um, I'd knocked my pan in during the, the close season to try and get players in on a reduced budget. And then my dad died. And it just knocked the stuff out of me, to be honest. Um, I just didn't want to do it anymore. So he came to me and says uh, they were going to change things around, and I says, that's, that's, that's not a problem, you know. You went back then for a spell at Corian, mm-hmm. is that right? And, right? and how long were you there for? Just one more season. Um, again, it was, <laughs> it was actually at my dad's wake. Marty Quinn came down, and he said to me, listen, big man, he says, I'll give you a call next week. I says, something for you if you want it. I says, well, that's okay. So he phoned me. And he said, would you come up and give another go for a year and see how things go? And I said, not a problem. So I went up there. Um, didn't really play a, a lot of matches. I think my legs had gone more or less. So 
Um, but enjoyed my, my second spell there as well. And good bunch of fellas and good people up in Coleraine. Was there a certain moment that made you think, right, it's time to call it a day here? Well, uh, I had a conversation with Marty uh, probably about six weeks before the season had finished. And I says to him, you know, could I be released from my contract? Uh, and I think he could at the time. And I think the IFA had brought in a thing that you could go back to your amateur status if you got a, a letter from the club to say you're going to be released. So I went to the club and asked, the, could that happen? And they says yes. So I'd end up went, going to a local side, uh, amateur league side, Wellington Rec, and I played there for, for two seasons. Uh, and I enjoyed it there as well. But it was again, it was no pressure whatsoever. If you look at Glenthorne now, obviously, the mon- even the Irish League in general now, did you ever see it going the way it is? It's it's a near, nearly a half full-time league. Um, so much money floating about. There is, and to be honest, I think a few years ago the Irish League was on its knees. So it was um, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, now, in saying that there, I think there's a lot of work still needs to be done. You look at the stadiums, they're... They're very, very poor. Some of them, including Glen Torrens, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, it needs uh, it needs a lot of investment. Um, but in saying that, there there is a lot of money about. And good luck to the the clubs and the players that are, are you know are at the clubs that are, are getting it because again, it can only attract better players. You know, you see the likes of players coming from England and Scotland uh, at the minute, and it can only help the Irish league. Do you think it's this boomer bust approach? Do you think some teams are playing with fire, or do you think it, you know, quite sound business minds? At, at the, that's the way I look at it. As a, the people who are in control of these clubs are sound business minds. They're they're multimillionaires. Most of them, you know, they're they know. Well, they have they have a, a lot of them have a, a bit of money to put in, but they're not just going to throw the money at it. I don't. I, I believe, you know, they need to see something coming back. I don't think they're ever going to get the investment that the that they put in, they're never, they're never going to get all that back. But, you know, we look at the model that Lauren have at the minute and Kenny coming in and, and doing what he's done, not just to the football side of things, to the business, the whole town. You know, he's bringing players in from Scotland, they're using the hotels, the, the amount of uh, employment that he's created, you know, he has the infrastructures there, he's the cliff, he's everything, he's everything in place and they can only go from strength to strength. And I think, you know, if, if other clubs want to go forward or, or progress, they've got to look at that model. Looking at Glent Horn now, um, I know we were talking before, and you go to watch your son play football quite a lot, so you only get to see bits and pieces of the Glens, but um, what sort of direction do you think they're heading? And obviously, Warren Feeney is at the helm, and he's quite a left-field appointment. Um, and, the fa- and he didn't have a honeymoon period. I said this on another podcast I was a guest on. You know, he's... He's under the cosh already. Do you think he can turn it around? I think he can. I think Warren was under the cosh before he was he was appointed, or sorry, when he was appointed, you know, before they actually kicked the ball because of his affiliation with Linfield. But again, you look at Roy Coyle's affiliation with Linfield, you know, and it took him a wee bit of time, you know, to, to win over the supporters as well. It's different now because supporters want instant success and that really can't happen, you know. You need a settled team. Has Warren had a settled team since he took over? I don't think he has. Chop and change. Injuries haven't helped. Luke McCulloch's been out. Reese Marshall's been out. They're two big players for the club. If you get them two back and he gets a, a, a system that uh, works for the club or for the players, you know, 
I, th- I think you've got to give him a lot of time. I think you have to. You look back in your career, um, you, you won everything there was to win. You represented Glen Torn, you were captain of Glen Torn, you represented your country. What did it mean for you to, to play for a club like Glen Torn and, um, and everything that came with it and the fans' the affiliation you have? You're a member of the 250 club, you're, you're without a doubt a Glen Torn legend. What does all mean to you? It means a lot. And we'll go back to the, the, the very start. Um, 1988 and when I got into the side never did I think that I would have the, the career that I did have you know I wish it had been longer at the club it, it wasn't to be but I think it was 460 odd 468 matches you know and missed a couple of seasons through different injuries but a lot of good times met a lot of good people visited a lot of great countries and as I say a lot of happy memories John, that brings us to the end of the podcast. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, here were the many Glen men and uh, such a good reaction from the minute I announced that you were coming on the podcast. There's a, a lot of people from that generation of following the Glens who were looking forward to hearing it. And um, yeah, thanks for everything you've done for Glen Torn and it's, um, it's great that you've, you've came on here. No problem. Thanks for having me and I hope I wrapped a few things up. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure you did. Well, I hope you agree that John was indeed a great guest and it was just interesting to hear his take in his own words about his departure from the Oval and just how things can go um, a bit... Well, football is a ruthless sport, I suppose, on both sides and they always say that loyalty is a two-way street that, you know, fans get annoyed when players leave but sometimes clubs make the decision and back then there was no social media and stuff so it was would have been interesting to see what way that would have played out that departure would have played out in the world of social media which can obviously be quite toxic but he um, still gets to watch the Glens now and again uh, he's coming down for the 250 club renewal at the, the Carrick game so that will be great to see him and lots more legends but brilliant to have him on um, sorry about the inconsistency of episodes this season it's just one thing to the next just between guest availability or um, my time being spread a bit thin but hopefully have one uh, for you have no guests lined up yet for uh, the next home game but hopefully get someone sorted this week and um, get one out to you so thanks again for tuning in if you haven't already you can subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on that means that you get a notification as soon as we have an episode out um, obviously they are released on full time but sometimes people forget and then they have to go back and Uh, and listen to it so you'll get the notification and it's perfect to listen to on the drive home hopefully after picking up three points thanks again and i will chat to you again in another couple of weeks